This episode is brought to you by my book, Be Left Behind. Discover Bitcoin and cryptocurrency before your grandmother beats you to it. Available on Amazon or anywhere books are sold. I know it sounds kind of cheeky, but if you're honestly interested in getting started in the Bitcoin cryptocurrency world and don't know where to start, this is the perfect book to start. As one of our Amazon reviewers just said, this book is the easiest way around to get quick education in crypto. Written in a breezy, easy to comprehend style, it's a must read to those new to the space. And of course, I perfectly uh, agree with all of those things. Uh, available again on Amazon, anywhere books are sold. If you're also interested in getting more details, you can contact me directly. Also, my co-author and I are doing a weekly chat on Clubhouse. So just find me on Clubhouse and we'll talk all about Bitcoin every single week. This episode is brought to you by MeetFox.com. MeetFox is the simplest solution to interact with your clients online and to monetize your online meetings. It's very easy to use. I've been taking advantage of it recently. It has a fully web-based system, no tech skills required. You can schedule all of your meetings through one simple click. It's linked to your calendar. Use their online system for your meetings. Get instant payments, automatic invoicing. Truly simple, easy to use. That's meetfox.com. If you use the promo code YURI at checkout, you will receive two months to test out all of their programs absolutely free. And if you want to hear more about what MeFox is all about, check out episode 202, where I interview the co-founder about why they started this wonderful company. Again, that's meetfox.com. Use the promo code YURI at checkout to receive two months absolutely free. Welcome to Advance Your Art. If you are interested in making money from your art, using your artistic background to your advantage when switching careers, or if you are just plain stuck, you've come to the right place. Now let's get started and have some fun with your host, Yuri Cataldo. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Advance Your Art with Yuri Cataldo. If you're interested in learning how to build a company, make money from your art, or if you're just feeling stuck, you've come to the right place. Every week I sit down with creative entrepreneurs to discuss the who, what, and why of their journeys. If you like this episode, please remember to like, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Today, I'm sitting down with Joseph Fung, CEO of Yuvaro. Joe, hello, how are you? Welcome to the show. Hey, Yuri, good to chat. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Doing well. Excellent, as am I. So how are things in your neck of the woods? Oh, other than uh, getting getting colder as we we get into the colder months, going going really well. 2020, despite being a little upside down, has has been a really exciting year for us and and for mm -hmm. our students. And yeah, we're really pumped. We're looking forward to 2021. Yeah, awesome, awesome. So uh, so with that, two part question: How do you describe yourself and what you do? And then also, how do you describe your company and what you do? Uh, so uh, describing myself, I'd alternate between, I suppose, serial entrepreneur, because I've done mm -hmm. it a couple of times, and recovering engineer, because I sure as heck should not be allowed near live code uh, anytime, anymore. Yeah. Um, what we do as a company, uh, it's a, a sales training organization with an interesting twist. We help people in other industries get into tech. And so... We run a sales training program, we go over the fundamentals, and we introduce them to incredible tech companies, mm -hmm. and then we only charge tuition once they land a new role. So it's a, a fun win-win situation. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Okay. 
I want to get into that, but before we do, I want to know a little bit about you and your background. Mm -hmm. So computer engineering, Mm -hmm. what initially made you interested in going to school and to study that? in all honesty, my, my background was always in visual arts. So uh, everything from, from sketching to painting, uh, I stumbled into computers almost accidentally uh, mm-hmm. and enjoyed challenging problems and literally picked the computer engineering program because it was the hardest to get into. Uh, <laughs> it's it not, not at all a good reason to choose a career. Um, but had a blast. And while I was studying, I uncovered my passion to build really great work cultures and founded my first company while I was still studying engineering. And then I haven't looked back. Uh, I think we're on company number five right now and uh, still enjoying it. Yeah, that's awesome. So let's, so your, your first company while you're still in school, Mm -hmm. why, why did, what made you initially interested in starting that specific kind of country, I'm sorry, country company (laughs) at that specific time? So, the school I went to, the engineering school I went to, has a very unique program, a cooperative education program. And so if you study engineering there, you actually alternate. You spend four months in class, four months working, and then you come back to class, you go back to work, and you get a chance to see different companies. Yeah. I was on one of my work terms, and I was working at a very large engineering company. It's a military contractor. I was actually working in a department that builds uh, radar, like you know the satellites, the radars you see at an airport. Yeah. The company, huge multinational company, had a brand new president, and they came to visit. And I was super excited. I'm like, I'm going to meet this new president. It's going to jazz. And I'd ask my coworkers, and here I am, this kind of wet behind the ears co-op saying, hey, what do you think it's going to be like? And everyone was scared. Like, oh, my God, why is he visiting our factory? Is he going to shut it down? Is he going to change things? Does he really care about what we're doing? And it struck me that that fear having a new leader coming and you're scared was a terrible way to run a company. That's a terrible culture to have. And, and I felt that I could do something better. And that's what really pushed me to launch the first company, that idea of building a workplace where people do great work, love working, have trust with their leadership. Uh, and literally, we, we looked around. We're like, well, what can we do that people will pay for? And so we were doing web programming and development. And, but the reason we did it wasn't at all because we enjoyed the programming is because we want to build a great place to work yeah oh that's that's great so with with your experience then building a great place to work were there how did you go about doing that was it through like trial and error were you reading studies about what other people were doing wrong and try to fix them or what was that experience like uh i I suppose a little bit of column a a little bit of column b (laughs) lucky Lucky to have some really great mentors and leaders. My, my parents were entrepreneurial, so we had some great networks of people that I could learn from. Uh, and then a lot of it was just being being bold in things we thought mattered. Uh, literally, before we even knew what we were doing, yeah. uh, as, a, as a company, we wrote down some of our policies. Uh, one of our first policies, uh, I look back at it now, I'm like, oh, that was, that was naive. One of our first policies was more fun equals more good. Yeah. Like we had a policy manual. I think that was page number two. Um, and so just writing some of these things down, uh, like, uh, volunteerism was important. So mm-hmm. one of our earliest policies was if you get two weeks of vacation, you also get two weeks you can take off to volunteer. And so we yeah. wrote those down right at the beginning. And oftentimes people would come to us and their first reaction was like, these are not reasonable things to build a company around. Uh, and I, I mean, when you're young and you're an engineer, your immediate reaction is kind of, well, screw you, I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah. Uh, so we did. <laughs> And yeah, there was definitely some errors. There were definitely some failings, you know, mistakes like uh, I hired my roommate and my best friend and that didn't work out well, but ended up hiring my mother for one company that worked really well. I ended up 
hiring friends or family in different capacities. And so, yeah, you, you make some mistakes, you make some stumbles, but you get better at it every step of the way. Yeah. So this, I guess the, the process you did of, of writing down these, the things you believe in, in the beginning, have you continued that trend through the rest of the companies you've started? And if so, how have they evolved? Yeah, I've, yes, absolutely. We definitely have. Yeah. Um, and they've evolved in some unique ways. Uh, one of the things that we really focus on is um, we think about how it's going to get used a little bit more. Uh, mm -hmm. I've always hated when companies say, here's our values, here's our vision, and really all it is is a poster on the wall. Like nobody, <laughs> nobody really knows what it means, what it stands for. And so we've thought a lot about how do we, how do we make something, how do we write something that can propagate? Mm -hmm. And so we tend to think about shortness. We tend to think about how it's in a framework. We, we build graphics, icons, they get into our software. Like how do we make it something you live and breathe? So more fun equals more good is, is long to put on a t-shirt. And so we have tighter, shorter values. Yeah. Um, we document the stories. Uh, but I think the biggest change actually was when we choose to create them. Uh, with our first company, uh, my co-founder and I, we wrote them down. Uh, and everybody who came on board really had to buy buy into them. Um, as we've moved forward, we've recognized there's a difference. If you if you bring build a, a bigger tent early on, there's greater sense of ownership, uh, but you can't wait too long or else the culture happens instead of you creating it. Yeah. So generally now, uh, we wait until we've got a small critical mass, you know, half dozen, eight people, enough of a diversity of opinions, but before things have been set in stone and you design them collaboratively. So we sit down, we talk about our rough sketches of the values, we look for input, we flesh it out together. And that initial team is really who's saying, this is what we stand for. And mm -hmm. these are the big stones in, uh, in, in our jar. And that's, yeah. that's been super helpful. Yeah, oh, that's good. I, so you, you said we, have you co-founded multiple companies with the same co-founders or has it been different your your journey been different for every time um it's definitely evolved so it's not the same people every time but there are people who have been with me you know along the journey uh one okay. of our co-founders uh derek has been with me at every company yeah um, <laughs> if, if we count them i think we've worked together at like seven different places and five of them were we'd made um <laughs> One of our co-founders for, for Yuvaro is, is yeah. Donna, and uh, she's my sister, so I've known her forever. And <laughs> she was one of our first employees in the last company as well. Uh, and okay. then some of our earliest team members and employees have joined us multiple times. So um, very firm believers. And if you find good people, work with them again, because you'll mm -hmm. do more great work. Yeah, okay. So let's let's talk about Yuvaro. Where did the initial idea come from to start this? Uh, so our company was a software company. We were selling sales software. And uh, if you think about how does it work, uh, I think the right, the right analogy would be uh, kind of like making cheat sheets that were digital. So if you take a job in a sales organization, very often they'll say, here's, here's some books to read, here's some presentations you gotta sit in and listen to, and here's some videos to watch, go memorize it all. Yeah. And after three weeks of trying to memorize, they say, great, now go talk to customers. Uh, <laughs> and it's just, it's not feasible. and. So we built software that would let you equip your team with a cheat sheet that changes in a given situation. It was great, it's fantastic. We powered you know, over 6,000 sales playbooks across North America and we were some of the most incredible companies using our software. Mm -hmm. But we saw all of them struggling to hire really good sales talent. And, and we saw that we realized, you know, this wasn't something that we'd experienced on our own. Like every time we've grown a company, 
building a good, effective sales organization has been really hard. And, and candidly, I always assumed it was just me. But we, we realized, no, this is a real systemic issue. And uh, our team has always cared very deeply, very deeply about diversity and inclusion. And what we saw getting repeated time and time again was sales leaders, founding teams, going back to the same uh, heavily biased frameworks for hiring. They'd say, hey, I'm looking for a recent grad who played competitive sports. They're very outgoing. <laughs> and mm -hmm. you know that, that leads to a certain type of hiring and you're missing a whole segment. And so we recognize that, yeah, we've got this great software. We've got this amazing pool of, of sales trainers that we work with. Uh, we believe very deeply about this problem. We think we can bring these together and solve both problems. We can help companies hire great sales talent and we can help people who are underemployed or in struggling industries catch up and and close that employment gap. And we we first tested it out about a year ago, and mm -hmm. uh, and it's taken off like crazy. It's just been like a wildfire. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. So I'm I'm particularly excited about and interested in this um, because of my own journey of of transitioning to a new career. And I've I've also interviewed a lot of people on this show who had a similar you know they were mm -hmm. in one one field and were stuck and then decided, let me try something else. And, and oftentimes it was the tech industry and they felt like they were always kind of playing catch up. So I'm, I'm curious, could you talk about some of the, you know, the case studies that have come through your program and, and how does your program uh, work for, for people who are looking to try something new and transition to, to a new career? Sure. Uh, so, so some of the, the facts are easiest. Uh, yeah. we, have, we have new cohorts that start every month. Uh, the class is pretty intense. It's two hours a day of live workshopping. It's a 12-week program. Uh, so you're, you're looking at five days a week for 12 weeks uh, where, yes, there's things like documents to read and some videos to watch, but a lot of live practice. You can breakout rooms, role play, really applying it. The idea is how do we help this, these frameworks, this language feel second nature? You can read a blog post, but it's not going to stick with you. You need to be able to practice it, and you need that real experience. So, yeah. Um, the classes are live over the course of the program. As people get ready, sometimes it's earlier, sometimes it's the end. We'll actually uh, help them with their job search as well. So we're talking about kind of resume review, introducing them to companies, helping to facilitate interviews, critiquing job offers, and letting them know, do you think you can get more? Or here's something to watch out for. Or, you know, this is a good company to work for. Or here's some context you might not know, that kind of thing. Um, <laughs> It's been awesome. On, on average, our grads uh, land their new jobs uh, on average 17 days after graduation. Oh, wow. Uh, and uh, it, it, the journeys are different for each person, mm -hmm. uh, but the average increase uh, on compensation from before the program to after is a little over double their income. Um, so these are life-changing moments. It's super exciting. Yeah. Uh, the, the things that are so impactful, though, are the individuals. The... Like I said, loved building great places to work. And I've always mm -hmm. measured my success, the team's success, by how effectively we've built a great environment. Do people come in? Do they feel fulfilled? Are they accomplishing everything? Because the reality is if you're selling business products, somebody making a process a bit more efficient, closing the deal is okay, it's fun, but it doesn't hit you in the same way. Yeah, We're doing something now that actually does. We have, um, yeah, some of those stories. One that really sticks with me, we have uh, one of our, our grads, uh, she was a newcomer to the country, uh, came from the Philippines. Mm -hmm. She'd uh, been uh, in the country for just a couple of months and had been applying for tons of jobs, wasn't getting any interviews. Uh, and her background was really unique. You know, her background is in foreign exchange trading, so heavy finance background. 
very competitive. She competed in heavy lifting in an international level, like international silver medalist, heavy lifting, like power lifting. She was a powerful woman in so many ways. Couldn't get an interview. And everyone's like, oh, you're from the, you're from the Philippines. Maybe she should be applying to like housekeeping jobs. It's like, what the heck are people saying? Like, it's terrible. Um, week 10 in the program, lands a role at this incredible tech company, then a couple of weeks gets promoted into a full-time permanent role, um, completely transformed the opportunities that she had in front of her. Mm-hmm. Like, just incredible. And it wasn't that we did anything magic. It was, you know, here's here's how you use the right words. Here's how you're, you frame the resume in the right way. Here's how you do the right exercises, because she had all the right intrinsic skills, like driving to do her personal best, you know, learning complex technical things, and it was really just kind of framing it and saying, here's how you can help people in a unique way. And mm-hmm. she's just having the time of her life now. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. So when, so when, when if people decide to, I guess, go along to, to sign up for your program, what is the, the basic process like and about how long is, is your program? Uh, so the whole program is 12 weeks in class. Okay. Um, people apply it. I mean, we have people who are applying uh, up to a couple of weeks before class starts. So, I mean, we just had a cohort start on, on Monday uh, and we had people applying for that cohort the Monday before. Yeah. Uh, but then we also have people who are planning, like if you're going back to school, people will plan three, four, six uh, further uh, months out. Uh, and so the time frame from an application to start is very often up to the individual. Okay. Um, the process includes, uh, we, ha- we do a couple of kind of technical tests, like can you, yeah, do you have a computer that can support using things like Zoom? Because you need to be able to participate in the class. So there's some, some basic requirements. Uh, we do do an intake interview. We do do uh, use tools like uh, psychometric tests to help guide that interview process and guide their coaching uh, going forward. Um, but the process, yeah, includes some, some automated tests, an in-person intake interview, uh, as well as reviewing some of the basics like schedule, timing, People always have questions on what's the coaching look like? What does the class look like? And for some people, when they learn more, they realize it's not what they were looking for. And, and that's good. It's, it's much better that we work with people who know exactly that this is the right fit. Um, because at the end of the day, for, for most of our students, we're not charging until they land a new job. So it's important that we feel confident it's the right fit for them too. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. In the, so in the areas of, of tech, are there particular, let's say, industries you focus on within tech? Or is it... I guess just general tech companies um, overall. Yeah, so uh, I talk about tech because it is it is a bit of our sweet spot. Uh, a lot of our grads go on to other industries as well. So I mean, we have folks from uh, finance, insurance, banking, energy, solar, hiring our grads uh, because the idea of can you sell online using Zoom is is a bigger problem than just tech. Right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So a, a lot of people, and, and some people go into other non-directly sales roles, like customer mm-hmm. success or okay. sales engineering. Um, our sweet spot, where our network is deepest and where we've had uh, the fastest success are business-to-business software companies. Okay. Uh, so like like Autodesk, you know, companies like that who sell yeah. business software online uh, is typically who we're working with the most. And yeah. that space alone over the next 10 years, that space is going to grow to an extra uh, 800 billion in sales just in North America. And mm-hmm. to do that, you need another uh, quarter million sales professionals. And so it's also where you're looking to lay a new role, new opportunity, where the, the labor dynamic is most uh, beneficial and, and kind of biased towards the employee. 
Yeah. Yeah, of course. Okay. Interesting. So I guess it sounds like you're, you're really good at just teaching people how to sell and be comfortable with the sales process in, in general. Is that a, a safe assumption? That is a safe assumption. The one caveat I'd say in there is uh, the part that works really well in business to business, particular tech sales, mm -hmm. is that it's not about hunting down every opportunity and dragging it past the finish line. It's about finding the right fit. And that, that philosophy of like, how do you properly disqualify opportunities? How do you only sell to people that you can actually help? That philosophy works really well in B2B tech. It doesn't work in every industry. So we cover a lot of sales fundamentals, but we really focus on that idea of deliver value, help people prioritize your time. So you're working with the people you can actually help. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so I, I suppose there's, there's probably some industries where that framework doesn't work as well. Uh, and we're probably not equipping people to succeed in that space as much as in B2B tech. Sure, that, that makes sense. Uh, so I'm, I'm curious on how your company has evolved in 2020. Um, so have, I guess, you know, as, as the pandemic came and hit, were you always set up to do things virtually or is that something you switched over to? And then how are you taking that over to 2021? Yeah, that's such a fantastic question. We've always had a remote component to our team. I mean, one of our pound, so we're based in Canada, mm -hmm. you know, outside of, just outside the Toronto area. One of our co-founders is based in uh, California, uh, you know, near San Francisco. Mm -hmm. One of our first employees was in the Philippines. So we've always thought about a distributed team, yeah. but we've always had a core that's on location. Like we have a physical space. We've thought about it that way. So I'd say we were more remote friendly than remote first. Okay. Uh, 2020 has definitely forced us to learn how to be remote first and we're doing some things really well, but I think there's always areas to improve. I mean, we've always done the fundamentals really well. Like every meeting has video conferencing, you know, equipping people with, with webcams and laptops first. We've only ever bought laptops for people because we knew they'd move around. And so I think we had some good basics in place, but I don't think we uh, fully expected uh, how tough it would be for everyone to transition to a fully remote workplace. Um, and so I think we still have some open questions. Uh, yeah. What has happened though is since uh, the beginning of this year, almost all of our hiring has has been remote. And so even now, more than half of our team is not based in, in our uh, geographic locale. Mm -hmm. And going forward, we're now recruiting for everywhere. So we're just polishing up. Uh, so we have a verbal offer. We haven't closed a contract on, on an employee uh, that's based in India. We're interviewing oh, wow. people in Argentina. We're, yeah, it's it's really a, a different field. And that's that's exciting because it's, like I said, always been motivated by building a great place to work. Mm -hmm. And that's nice when you can make an impact, not just in your local neighborhood, but you know internationally. So that's, that's a lot of fun. Yeah. I'm, so I'm, I'm curious, especially, particularly because you're focused on the, the area of sales, on the idea of, let's say, fear and rejection or the fear of rejection. So how do you work with your um, students to be okay with rejection and, and not to get bogged down with constantly failing? It's, that is such a great question. <laughs> That's a really good one. I love that. I'm enjoying this conversation a lot. Thank you. <laughs> Excellent. So am I. <laughs> it's so funny because a large part of it is, uh, like a lot of fears, uh, your, your fear of it is actually bigger than the experience itself. Mm-hmm. 
So a good example is like cold calling. People get very nervous about cold calling. I'm going to pick up the phone and I'm going to interrupt someone's day to try and ask for a conversation. And that feels very anxiety inducing. And we have a, a lot of students who've never cold called or they've tried it before and it was really terrifying. Uh, one of the things that we really focus on is the idea of how do we create a safe space to fail? Hmm. You know, and so how do we incrementally level that up so that every step of the way we're pushing you just outside of that comfort zone and so your comfort zone expands. And so on that, that's a good example, for the cold calling, our first initial role plays are like in a Zoom room with just your peers and we're gonna pretend that you're calling me as the instructor. And you, you can all see me, you can see what I'm doing. And, mm -hmm. and I'm gonna to pretend to, to be a little bit difficult or a little bit ornery and then we're gonna try somebody else and we'll critique it together. And then we'll get you to try against each other and then we break it into a breakout room now where you're doing it unsupervised. Mm -hmm. Like as an instructor, I might jump in or I might step out. And then we bring in some outsiders and then we get you to reach out to a few outsiders and some people race through those levels a lot faster and they're coaching each other and others just need a little bit more practice. But over that 12 weeks, it's all based around the idea of how do you do this thing enough that you feel comfortable with it? And then we do apply an internship at the end. So mm -hmm. not everyone takes advantage of the internship, but half of our grads do, but they actually get a real work experience, with a real company doing that activity. And so, yes, we're pushing that envelope, but, try to create a very safe space so they have the opportunity to try new things and be comfortable being a little silly, being a little embarrassed. And, and, and I suppose we, our, our instructors, this isn't me, this is mm -hmm. completely built by our instructors. They've done a really good job of helping people embrace that silliness and the discomfort. So things like, uh, <laughs> we've got one cohort that does crazy shirt themes. Mm -hmm. So they're like, okay, the theme this time is blue. The theme this time is cartoon characters and they're like all wearing different shirts or ones that are like crazy backgrounds. So it's, they're doing a good job of getting people being comfortable getting outside their comfort zone. Mm -hmm. And that's small things like your Zoom background and big things like cold calling. So. <laughs> yeah, it is. Oh, that, that's great. I love that you take them incrementally, you know, step by step through the process and, and help them along the way. That's, that's awesome. It, I should, I should be really fair though. The reality is that sounds like a lot of, of yeah, kind of milk and honey in some ways. Um, it all escalates up into some pretty high pressure competitions. Like yeah. the, the final step that we have, uh, we have a demo day at the end. So mm -hmm. typically the day before they wrap up. Um, so if the class ends on a Friday, it'll be the Thursday night. Uh, the top four or five competitors will participate in a head-to-head -head live pitch competition where we're bringing in outside judges. Mm -hmm. So they're doing a pitch to people they've never pitched to before. It's an artificially difficult scenario. They need to go through a full sales call in 15 minutes and, and they know they're being live streamed. And so it does it. We level them up into the hardest sales call they will ever do. <laughs> so then when they go into the field, everything is easier than what they just went through. Yeah. So it's, it's a fun journey. Yeah, uh, definitely. That sounds amazing. So I'm, I'm curious then in, in your own life, with everything that you've done and experienced over these years and companies you've started, what would you say has been the best advice that you were ever given? I, I'd have to go to back. One of my, my earliest mentors always hammered home the idea that feedback is a gift. And uh, I, I can think about specific specific pieces of advice that have been meaningful in the time and in the moment. But if I think about one that I can go back to every single day and we use all the time, mm -hmm. the idea that when someone gives you a piece of feedback, uh, you should treat it with respect. You should cherish it. You should choose what you're, you're ingesting because if you have feedback, you can do something with that. You can improve yourself. You can improve the situation. And uh, it, is, it is the best kind of gift you can receive. So I'd, yeah. I'd have that. 
Yeah, wonderful, wonderful. Well, Joe, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. I truly appreciate it. If the listeners would like to um, see what you're doing online, perhaps sign up for the classes, where is the best place they can go to do all of that? Oh, they can always check out our site, uvaro.com, U-V-A-R-O.com. Uh, and I can be hit up personally on most of the channels, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook. I'm at Joseph Fung, all one word. Uh, and I'm always happy to chat about life, business, startup sales, all that stuff. Fantastic. And I will put all of those links in the show notes so they can click right through. Thanks so much, Yuri. This is a blast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Advance Your Art with Yuri Cataldo. If you like this episode, please remember to give us a five-star rating, like, and share with a friend. Our theme music is written and mixed by Chicago-based composer Ryan Black of Blackbones Collaborative. To listen to the full catalog of our episodes, go to advanceyourart.com. To see what I'm working on or book a time with me or buy a copy of my book, Be Left Behind, go to yuricataldo.com. Thank you so much and have a great day.